Peace be with you this very moment, no matter the turmoil of your heart. May you claim peace and rest in its embrace. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne and Primrose United Churches in Southern Ontario. The United Church, especially in recent years, has made every effort to embrace the constitution of our country, Canada, and is the only church to do so. For the constitution of our country recognizes the value of each individual in a legal sense. We have, however, still the challenge of putting both the tenets of our constitutional rights and that of our faith into practice. It is a worthy pursuit and the focus of our weekly podcasts. With the warm weather, I have been gardening early in the morning before my workday begins. It is a lovely time of day. The birds go about their hunting and morning coffee clutches chattering away and for the most part, completely ignore me. I can dig in the soil and contemplate the larger thoughts in life simultaneously. For the garden is a wonderful teacher, demonstrating the spiritual principles that are as fervently rigid as any scientific ones. For example, it is a spiritual truth that the best of our inclinations, when extrapolated in the opposite direction, are our deepest challenges. Our worst instincts are intertwined with our goodness. When you are weeding, the weeds that are in the loose soil, separate from the main plantings, are easy to remove. But the ones that are almost impossible to get out are those that have ingratiated themselves in the midst of your most prized roses or perennials. They grow right up inside the more beautiful plant and try and pass themselves off as part of something that they are not. It's very clever, very hard to remove. And sometimes in removing the weeds, you have to remove a part of the thing that you most value. Same in spiritual work. A few weeks ago, I awoke to discover that the bed of asters I had planted in anticipation of a party at summer's end had all been decapitated, their budding tops munched right off by the night marauder, leaving deer prints behind in case I wondered who had had the late night feast. I was a bit discouraged. But now I have discovered that the taking off of the heads of the asters has only increased their bushiness. And where there was just one flower, there are now multitudes. Indeed, this is exactly the way to get more flowers, removing the initial emerging of the plant. So the deer did what I did not have the heart to do. And as they have now passed on to more interesting fare, I am indebted to them. Often, what we have not the will to face or say or do, others will step in and do for us. And though at the time it can seem harsh and even unkind, if we will hold off our judgment and simply be curious, we may discover that we have received a gift of great magnitude. And this all brings us home to our theme and personal practice of the summer, and that is awareness, to which I will add the spiritual practices of detachment and curiosity. That is not being attached to what we become aware of, 
and instead being curious to see what may yet unfold. We will see all these movements of the Spirit today as we continue on our exploration of the parables of Jesus with a look at the story of the Great Feast. I am so glad you have joined us for this time of reflection. the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be added unto you hallelujah hallelujah ask and it shall be given unto you shall find knock and the door shall be opened unto you hallelujah hallelujah we do not live by bread alone Our call to worship last week was Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day, and it ended with the question, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Both our call to worship and our closing blessing today come from the wondrous Irish poet and theologian John O'Donohue, and he concludes his morning blessing with an encouragement to us all to live our lives in clarity and intention, writing, May I do at last what I came here for and waste my heart on fear no more. May this be our intention for this day and the days to come. And our prayer this morning is an interpretation of Richard Foster's prayer that concludes his chapter on contemplation from his inspiring book entitled, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. A Morning Offering, John O'Donohue. I bless the night that nourished my heart to set the ghosts of longing free into the flow and future of dream that went to harvest from the dark bread for the hunger no one sees. All that is external to me 
welcomes the wonder of this day, the field of brightness it creates, offering time for each thing to arise and illuminate. I place on the altar of dawn the quiet loyalty of breath, the tent of thought where I shelter, waves of desire I am sure to, and all beauty drawn to the eye. May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers, to break the dead shell of yesterdays, to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, and do at last what I came here for, and waste my heart on fear no more. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, listening is hard for us. We do not exactly mean hard, for we understand that it is a matter of receiving rather than trying. What we mean is that we are so action-oriented, so product-driven, that doing is easier for us than being. We need your help if we are to be still and listen. We would like to try this new sense of awareness, this resisting to rush in and fill space with doing. We would like to sink down into the light of your presence until we can become comfortable in that posture. Help us to try, help us to listen. Help us to be aware. Thank you and amen. As you know, I often speak of spiritual practices and teach them in different ways. We have considered the keeping of the Sabbath, spiritual reading, the examine, the rosary, pilgrimage, forgiveness. The list of spiritual practices is endless. But for the rest of the summer, I want us to consider something called contemplative stance, which is a way of being, a way of being aware that is embedded in the very idea of spiritual practices. A spiritual practice is an ongoing discipline that you put in place in order to build and further your spiritual wellness. They enhance your faith journey. They can be as particular and specific as your own life. They are important because without them, it is difficult to enrich your relationship with God. The term spiritual discipline has a particular meaning that refers to the opening of one's spirit to the working of God or the placing of oneself in the way of grace, grace as unmerited gift of spiritual understanding. Henry Nouwen writes, 
In the spiritual life, the word discipline means the effort to create some space in which God can act. Discipline means to prevent everything in your life from being filled up. Discipline means that somewhere you are not occupied and certainly not preoccupied. In the spiritual life, discipline means to create that space in which nothing can happen or something can happen that you had not planned or counted on. Discipline, then, is not a punitive affair. In Christianity, it involves a renewed understanding of the authority of Christ, motivated by a desire for a deeper understanding of the love of his way and a desire to respond to the needs of others. Ultimately, the purpose of practicing certain spiritual disciplines is to improve our sight, that is, to begin to see past the misconceptions presented by the culture to another reality, which may include the five senses, but is beyond them. Richard Rohr writes that all spiritual disciplines have one purpose, to get rid of illusion so that we can be present. These disciplines exist so that we can see what is, see who we are, and see what is happening. On the contrary, our mass cultural trance is like scales over our eyes. We see only with the material eye. The contemplative stance, in its attempt to help remove these scales, employs the three spiritual disciplines of attentiveness, resistance, and self-emptying, which allows for the practice of the fourth discipline, that of discernment. It should be noted, however, that though the development of these disciplines is of vital importance, as Thomas Merton wisely cautions, the inner life cannot be summoned into existence by mere discipline, nor tricked into revealing its wisdom and direction by our adherence to a certain process. What spiritual practices can do, Merton suggests, is produce within ourselves something of the silence, the humility, the detachment, the purity of heart, and the indifference which are required if the inner self is to make some shy, unpredictable, manifestations of its presence. Spiritual disciplines may be likened to tools that are used gently and reverently in the loosing of the soil around our often impacted, intransient thinking, in the hope that we will begin to live with the mind in the heart and allow new growth to emerge. So continue your work on awareness, being present. And at our practicing compassion gathering last Tuesday, the practice of being curious was highlighted. Be aware. Resist what you usually do. Be curious about yourself and others. And leave space for God to correct and instruct.
Our first scripture is from Psalm 51, a psalm traditionally thought to be written by King David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan concerning his little escapade with Bathsheba. King or not, you are not supposed to seduce the wife of your lead general who is off fighting a war for you and then arrange for his death to cover up the affair. Very bad behavior all around. Given King David's shoddy behavior, we might all feel pretty self-righteous alongside him. But the truth is, we disappoint ourselves and God all day long with our little deceits and gossips and lost opportunities to help others. This psalm is also known as the sinner's prayer, a kind of how-to guide for people who have lost their way and wish to find themselves back in God's good graces. Here, too, we see how our lives are interwoven with the divine spirit, how we must work in concert with that mystery that is beyond us to live peacefully, one with the other and within ourselves. Much has been made about this one line from the psalm, Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. And this somehow has been twisted into the idea that the sexual act was sinful. This is nonsensical. The line simply means that as humans from birth, we stumble and fall and don't always get things right. And that is part of the human condition. Psalm 51 verses 1 to 12. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit.
praise to you to begin Love for you be lived Life be celebrated Joy you give Let me God be open Let me loving be Let your world people speak to me scripture is from Luke chapter 14 verses 15 to 24. It is known as the parable of the great banquet or the great feast. The same parable can be found in the book of Matthew. I will confess to often leaning to Luke's offerings as opposed to Matthew's because Matthew always seems to want to initiate a Donnybrook to cause an uproar and to initiate a polemic argument for sheer entertainment. Each writer of the four Gospels leaves their particular brand upon the New Testament work. This is yet another way we can see how we work together with the divine spirit. The scriptures were written by those interested in spiritual matters, those desirous of knowing God, inspired by God, you may say. But the writers were nevertheless ordinary, flawed human beings with hidden, or not so hidden, agendas on display. The scriptures are covered with the sticky little fingerprints of people. They are important, but they cannot be infallible because we are not infallible. They are something more wonderful than infallible. They are life-giving, enduring, fascinating, challenging, and ultimately uplifting. This parable comes in the midst of several other parables concerning various aspects of dining and eating, one of the main themes, as it turns out, in the gospel stories. 
Sometimes it seems that Jesus and his disciples are just going from one dinner party to the next, and perhaps they were. What a better way to have open conversation with others, to be actually living out in real time what you are trying to teach. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. And then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled for I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but I would suspect you have had it in some form or another. You get this great idea that you will have a party or a gathering of some kind. Maybe this has happened when you were younger or recently. And in your excitement with your idea, you plan the food and the entertainment and who will come. And there's this lovely energy about your creation. So you send out the invitations to your party with the idea of the excitement gathering and dangling in the air. But perhaps it is that your guests do not respond right away to your joyful invitation. Or perhaps the first couple of people who do respond send their regrets. And the idea comes to you that perhaps no one will be interested in your party. And the dreaded vision of empty tables and uneaten food stretches before you. It is an act of faith and courage to invite people to your party. Because yes, there is always the possibility that everyone would rather be elsewhere than with you. Imagine what it must be like for the Great Spirit to have put together all the miracles of this universe. Every intricate creature, every storm, every tree, every breath, every musical note. And what joy there must have been in this work. What creativity, what artistry, what immense energy. You can see this any way you wish through the lens of science or philosophy or evolution, it does not matter. The point is that this world and all that is in it in its original form was not created by us. All the raw materials that we use to make what we make and do what we do and think ourselves so clever 
were not our original design. And here we are, all invited to work alongside the spirit of the Creator to do marvelous things, to dream a wonderful vision. And then the Divine Spirit must watch as person by person by person we turn away to do what we want to do. Sometimes the sorrow of the Divine Spirit seems so great, one would wonder how it continues on, so disappointed, so let down. God needs us to come and to participate in creation, is desirous of our company, invites us to be co-creators, to be co-celebrants, to join in the feast, to be companions in the great work. Do you not feel sometimes sorrowful at all the times you have told God you were busy? I do. And it should be noted that the excuses that the guests give in our parable are all valid. They have business and personal matters to attend to that are very real. But they nevertheless miss out on the great adventure to which they have been invited. Their error was not in the carrying on of their business. It was in their preference to their particulars than to wishing to listen to another voice who offered them a new choice. And here we find ourselves back at the spiritual practice of discernment, not being so attached to our cattle or our business affairs or our purchases or our marriages or our children or our finances that we cannot look up and about and see that we are being called elsewhere and must leave behind our own preference for something unknown. Here is a modern parable of the great feast based on a true experience. The woman had been attending 12-step meetings for quite some time. The spirituality that was taught there was based on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus invited all people to gather together for conversation and to understand the way of the kingdom of heaven. And she thought, what a wonderful idea to invite people to her home in the country for a hike and Sunday supper. She had not done this before, and she thought it a wonderful, generous thing to do. The woman did not know everyone in the group, but she had her favorites. She imagined them all together around her dining room table. She chose 12 people who could all fit nicely in her dining room and sent out the invitations. And then she went on to plan the menu, do up maps for hiking, and thought on topics of discussion for the evening. But one by one, much to the woman's dismay, every single one of the people that she had invited told her they were unable to come. Each had some reason that was, well, reasonable. 
but still there was the sinking feeling that she was somehow unworthy, that somehow everything and everyone else was more interesting than she was. She knew this thinking self-focused and unworthy, but it lingered. But for reasons she could not quite define, she felt that to cancel the dinner was a defeat of the principles she was trying to learn. So the next time the group gathered, she opened the invitation to everyone. And much to her surprise, all those people who she had not paid much attention to were thrilled to be invited to her home. And in this, she felt deeply ashamed and admonished by God, because of course she had forgotten all those who did not normally get invited to a lovely dinner. They were the ones with seemingly nothing to offer, no fancy social graces to show off, no conversational skills that were obvious, those that spoke too loudly or not at all, those who did not even have basic table manners, those with whom she had never spent time. And her shame at this understanding and sense of despair, at the realization that she had dismissed so many of God's people, was great. And in this state of remorse, she took extra care with the table settings and the flowers and chose the best of the foods she could gather and cook, feeling somehow that this was her offering to God, her offering back and her asking for forgiveness, her sinner's prayer offered up with her working hands. They all gathered at her house, thrilled, each and every one of them, to be part of such a beautiful party. They were, by turns, noisy, disruptive, argumentative, unruly, quiet, silent, sloppy, and the purest delight to their hostess, each and every one of them. And do you know why? Because they came just as they were, just as God had made them, with their faults and their beauty on full display, each one a miracle of creation so joyful to be included in the feast. And God was so pleased with the gathering that all the woman could do was alternately laugh and weep at her great good fortune. And with renewed vision, gifted from the heavens, she prayed this prayer with new understanding. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Why do you fight? Come to 
so dry Come to me, say good Lord I've got an easy yoke Come to me, say good Lord that though new podcasts will be available each Sunday through the summer until we open the churches again for Sunday worship on September 13th, there is a weekly book study to attend in person if you feel comfortable to join us. The details of this study are on our website and in our weekly email correspondence, as is the weekly readings for our wonderful book, Practicing Compassion by Frank Rogers. I am now doing social distancing visits outside, so if you wish to visit me, please call and I will come to see you for a catch-up chat. Everyone who hears this podcast is welcome to call me and ask for a visit. And next week, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. July 19th, there will be an informal gathering service at Primrose United Church to which everyone is welcome. We will have a discussion on the podcast, which will be available on Saturday instead of Sunday. Everyone is welcome, and social distancing practices will be in place. We close as we opened with a prayer of blessing from John O'Donohue, who expresses himself with such a gentle, loving spirit and an understanding that our inner world is not always as peaceful as what we present to the world. John O'Donohue from Echoes of Memory. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. 
And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue come to awaken you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the cure of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. Come 